Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Jose, Judah, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and is in, and is, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about their villages in a circuit teaching. Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence tonight. It has been a beautiful day. It's a hot summer day here in Memphis or in the Mid-South. And if you don't like hot weather, the bad news is I don't see any relief in sight. But we are glad to have the opportunity to worship God in an air-conditioned building. There are people in days gone by that did not have this luxury, and they had fans. And, well, you know the story. You know some of the conditions that people used to live in. How grateful we ought to be for some of the blessings that we enjoy in this life. We're going to be looking tonight at Mark, the sixth chapter, the passage that was read a moment ago by Cameron. And we're going to be talking about those who rejected the hometown boy. It has been said, and I suspect it is the case, it is always hard to go back home. There are some that have aspired to go back home, to work, to labor, to live their lives. Some, no doubt, have been accepted. Others, maybe not so. In Mark, the sixth chapter, we have Jesus going back to his hometown, the city of Nazareth. It was really the place where he was reared. And in Mark's account, we find that those who lived in the city of Nazareth, and Nazareth was just north of the city of Jerusalem, it was south of Capernaum, about 15 miles. Jesus went back to Nazareth, and unfortunately, the people in that city rejected him. If you look at Luke's account of the gospel, we have an account of Jesus going back to the city of Nazareth. He went to the synagogue. He read a passage from Isaiah and said to those people in the long ago that that passage was fulfilled in their eyes. He had come to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The Bible says that they marveled at the graciousness of his words. And yet in that same context, Luke tells us that they became enraged. 
because of what they heard. And they sought to throw him off the cliff upon which their city had been built. Well, in Mark chapter 6, we find Mark telling us some events that transpired while Jesus was in the city of Nazareth. And the first thing I want to call attention to is the fact that they were astonished at the preaching of Jesus. Really, they were stupefied at what they had heard and no doubt what they had seen. Look, if you would, at verses 1 and 2. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? The word astonished means shocked, to be struck with amazement. And really there are three things that they were shocked or amazed over as they related to Jesus and his preaching. First of all, they were astonished at his words. Listen again to what Luke records. Jesus, of course, on the Sabbath day had gone into the synagogue and began teaching. And the text says that those who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? You recall when Jesus began his earthly ministry, one of the things that, well, Jesus began preaching and teaching. And one of the things he did, he heralded the coming of the kingdom of God according to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. In chapters 5 through 7, Matthew tells us that Jesus delivered what is typically referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about some of the things that had been recorded in the law of Moses. And then he would inject, but I say unto you. Oftentimes he would say, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. But I say unto you, inserting divine authority. And Jesus, of course, had all authority according to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Matthew 17, 5. Well, when Jesus concluded the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible says that those who heard him were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. Now we think about the scribes, those who were teachers of the law. And of course we think about those who recorded the law. But here Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount brings to the fore the teaching of Moses. And then contrast, contrasted to the teaching of Moses, he inserts his own divine authority and says, this is what you need to do. Jesus here legislating the fact that his authority came from whom? From Almighty God. And then I think about what John recorded in John chapter 7, verse 46, where it was said of Jesus, no man ever spoke like this man. Imagine having the opportunity to hear Jesus, to hear the wonderful words of life. You remember in John chapter 6 when Jesus had declared himself to be the bread of life? 
Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And Jesus asked the question, will you also go away? Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. No one else had the words of life eternal. Jesus was exclusive in this, in this realm. And then we think about, in looking at our lesson text, not only were they astonished at his words, they were astonished at his wisdom. They asked, and what wisdom is this which is given to him? Now, when you, when you look at this in context and you think about here is Jesus in their midst. This is the hometown boy. And they are listening to him teach in the synagogue. And obviously they understand that this is somebody very special. They recognize the great wisdom that he demonstrated. No doubt in his teaching, in his life, and the way he carried himself. Do you remember in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus had been left behind by his parents? They had been to observe the feast. They had been to Jerusalem, rather. And his parents thought that he was in their company. And so then when they recognized that he was not among them, they went back. And they found him where? They found him in the temple sitting with the teachers. And they were no doubt astonished. And Luke tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and man. And so Jesus was a unique individual. The reason was because he was God, God in the flesh. But they marveled at his words, at his wisdom, and then also at his works. Mark tells us that they asked the question, and what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Now in verse 3, they're going to ask the question, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? In Luke chapter 4, they asked the question, is this not Joseph's son? Joseph was a carpenter. He was a craftsman. And that craft had been passed on to Jesus. And so when they ask the question or when they cite the mighty works which were, were performed by his hands, I think about all of the divine works that Jesus demonstrated before the people. They were astounded by these things. And rightly so. There's a second thing I want you to see in our text. And that is they ask about the person Jesus. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, we have their surmising. And first of all, we are garnered insight into their opinion about Jesus. Let me just pause here and ask this question. What do you think about Jesus? You've read the account. You've looked at the gospel narratives. You and I, we've read, we have read, we've studied, we've looked at the life of Jesus. What do you think about him? Listen to, what, listen to what they ask. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are these not his sisters here with us? What about the truth as it related to the person Jesus? This is the hometown boy. They look at him as the carpenter's son, as the child of Mary and Joseph. 
Well, well here, here's really the question. Who was Jesus? There were varying opinions in that day. Do you remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 when he asked his disciples, who do men say that I the son of man am? They responded by saying, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others are saying that you're Elijah. And then there are those that are saying that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So there were varying opinions about Jesus. They identified him as the carpenter's son. Well, who was Jesus? Jesus was God incarnate. In other words, he was the word who became flesh. Now granted, if you and I were to jettison back in time to the first century, and were we in the shoes of many of the people of that day, we too would have, we would have had to draw some conclusions about Jesus. Let's just say that we were from Nazareth, and maybe we knew Jesus. We knew about Jesus. And we were well acquainted with his words, his wisdom, his works. We knew that he was the son of Joseph and Mary. We knew all about him. Would it have been difficult for us to have made the connection that this was indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God? Again, I think about Jesus asking the question to his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That was a fair question. There were varied opinions. These people were skewed in their concept of Jesus. They were mistaken about the one in their presence. I believe that Jesus was God incarnate. He was the eternal logos, the one who took upon himself human flesh. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 at verse five that a body was prepared for Jesus. Where was that body prepared? In the womb of Mary. We think about God incarnate. Jesus was born of a virgin. That's what Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter one. An angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream and said, fear not to take unto you Mary, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son and you'll call his name Jesus, for it is he that shall save his people from their sins. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord through the prophet saying, behold the virgin shall bear a child, shall bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. That's God incarnate. John said in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In verse 14 he said, and the word became flesh. That's God incarnate. So, Jesus was God incarnate he was born of the Virgin Mary, and I would submit unto you that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, as Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. Now think about, think about the disciples. They were asked by Jesus, point blank, point blank, whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, some say that you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jesus then asked the question, but whom do you say that I am? 
What's really important is, what do you think about my identity? Well, Simon Peter spoke up and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is the son of God. And so we think about their opinion as it related to Jesus. They have the son of God in their midst, and yet they fail to understand that. But now note, if you would, what Mark tells us. They were offended at Jesus. We think about their opinion of Jesus, but then also note how they were offended at Jesus. The word offended means to cause to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. Here is the Son of God in their midst. Was he the earthly son of Joseph and Mary? Yes, he was. But he was more than that. He was the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And so here, here were people that should have recognized that this is deity, this is the long-awaited Messiah, this is the one that we need to follow. This is the one that we need to submit our lives to. And yet, they were offended in him, at him. Hard to believe, isn't it? Hard to believe that people could have the evidence right, right before them. Here's the problem. Number one, they could not explain his words. They had no explanation for Jesus Christ and his great preaching, his great teaching, the authority by which he spoke. You remember again what John said in John 7, verse 46, no man ever spoke like this man. They had no explanation for the words of Jesus. And then with regard to his wisdom, they had no explanation for that. Where did this man get this, this kind of wisdom? Well, they understood that Jesus was someone special Maybe they were prejudiced. Maybe they didn't want to believe, but they couldn't explain it. They couldn't explain his works. Go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just listen to some of the great things that Jesus taught. Look at the wisdom that he demonstrated time and again as he interacted with people. It's interesting to me that he would oftentimes meet his critics and his foes and he would literally confound them. They, in, they intended, on many occasions, to ensnare or to entrap him. Jesus would oftentimes answer a question with a question. What does that suggest? He was, he was wise. And then look at his works. Look at all the great miracles that Jesus performed. Look at all of the great things that he did time and again. John said in John chapter 20, verse 30, truly many other signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus did a lot of great things. But now I want you to see in the third place the adage and performance of Jesus. First, we want to look at the saying and then the signs. In verse four, there's what I would call the logical axiom. Here's what, here's what is said. 
Now, bear in mind, Jesus is at home. He's among these people. He's in the synagogue. He's been teaching. They're well aware of his words, his wisdom, his works. And here's what Jesus says. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Have you ever heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? I read a quotation this week. I thought it was really a good quotation. A major general in the Air Force said on one occasion, I may be, I may be a general to Uncle Sam, but at home, I'm a buck private. And really what he meant was, at home, people do not care about my rank. Sometimes that's the case. A small town boy makes it big. Well, Jesus simply says to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. But I want you to see now the limitations of his activities. Now, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the one of whom the prophets of old have pointed people toward. Here is Jesus in his own hometown, among his own people, and they don't make the connection. And so, Jesus for all intents and purposes, is limited in what he chooses to do. There's an old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. There is only so much you can do with some people. You remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talked about casting your pearls before swine. There are some folks there's just only so, there's only so much that can be done. Why? Because the ground is not fertile. One of the great illustrations that Jesus used regarding the dissemination of truth was the four types of soil. And by way of analogy, he talked about the four types of human hearts. Out of four types of human hearts, only one was productive. That seed had the same power to accomplish the same end in every heart, but only one brought forth fruit. Sometimes it's discouraging when you tell people over and over and over again this is what the Bible says. This is what the Word of God, this is what the Word of God intends for us to do. This is how the Word of God suggests that we live. And it just falls on deaf ears. Time and again, it seems as if the Word of God, as it relates to some people, it just falls on deaf ears. Well, the Lord understood people like that. But here's another thing I want you to see, and that is his amazement. 
Note, if you would, the Lord's amazement. Verse 6. And he marveled because of their what? Their unbelief. Now, let's just stop there for a minute. Jesus marveled because of the unbelief of these people. Here was the Son of God in their midst. They had had opportunity to hear him, to see him, to observe his great works, his activities, the things that Jesus, the things, the things that Jesus did were not done in a corner. His fame went everywhere. And yet, they remained in unbelief. Jesus marveled at their unbelief. I want to ask this question tonight. Is it not the case that the Lord today could marvel at people in his church? Now, I would freely grant that there are lots of people outside the church that we question. Why is it that they don't believe? Why is it that they don't connect the dots? Why is it that they choose not to live for the Lord? But there are a lot of folks in the church who do not live like they should live. And I wonder, don't you think it amazes the Lord? I see people members of the body of Christ who ought to know better in terms of some of the things that they say and do. I step back and marvel because I know they know better, but they keep doing it. Absolutely amazing to me. And yet, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was confronted with people in his day. They had all of the evidence before them and yet they remained in unbelief. How many times do we preach and teach? You need to obey the gospel. You need to become a New Testament Christian because time is brief. There is always the danger of a hard heart and yet Time and again, it falls on deaf ears. People step out into eternity unprepared to meet Almighty God. The Hebrew writer said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Hebrews 10, 31. I marvel that some people do not obey the gospel. It's amazing to me that there are some people that have heard the gospel for years and years and years, and they've never been moved to obey it. I marvel that some members of the body of Christ don't come back on Sunday night. I marvel that some members of the body of Christ don't see the need to come back on Wednesday night. Typically, the question is, do I have to? The question ought to be, why not? You ought to want to be here. Listen, there, there are people in the church. They know they ought to be here, but they're not. If it amazes me, it ought to amaze the Lord. The Bible says he marveled at their unbelief. 
If the Lord were to look inside your life, I mean, if he were to peer into your spiritual life, would he marvel at how you live? Would he marvel at the things you say on a daily basis? Would he marvel at how you carry yourself in this community? Would he marvel at your, at your character, the reputation that you have developed over the years? You see, you have a reputation, whether you realize it or not. People, they know you. They know how you are, and they know what you are. Lots of questions. The Lord marveled at their unbelief. If the Lord were to peer into your spiritual life, would he see somebody who is desirous of growing and being all that being all that you could be as a Christian? If the Lord were to appear into your life, would he see somebody who is striving to the best of his or her ability to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Would he see somebody who is daily trying to read and study and meditate on this truth that we call the Bible? and become more Christ-like? Would he, would he look at your life and see somebody who's trying to serve others? I mean, those are just some valid questions. Jesus was rejected by people in his, home, in his own hometown. It is tough to go home sometimes. But it's amazing to me that Mark concludes this section by saying he marveled because of their unbelief and so what did he do? Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. You know what Jesus did? He kept preaching, he kept teaching, he continued doing what God had sent him to do. Jesus would say in the book of John, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. You and I, all we can do is our best. Live 24-7 for the Lord. I want to conclude tonight by saying this. When you read the scriptures and you look at what the Bible has to say about Jesus, you have the evidence. I have the evidence. The people in the Lord's day, they had the evidence before them. They had the opportunity to stand face to face with their Redeemer. Many of those people rejected him. Granted, some did not. They had to draw some conclusions and they had to decide, are we going to follow Jesus? You and I, we have to make that same decision. We have to draw conclusions about, about him as a person, as deity, we have to decide, are we going to follow him? Are we going to live for him? Are we going to consecrate our lives in his service? Only you can make that decision. The truth of the matter is, Jesus does not force anyone to follow him. He simply encourages. I would encourage us to follow Jesus, to live for him day in and day out. I want to close tonight by asking this question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you his disciple? A disciple is a learner. 
Are you trying to be what the Lord would have you to be in his service? If you're here tonight and you're not a member of the body of Christ, if you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come to Christ, believing that he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, would you be willing to act upon what the Bible says, to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. If you'll do that, the Bible assures us God will add you to the church, every sin washed away. And then if you live faithfully until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be, if you're not living a faithful life, maybe you know your life's not been what it ought to be in the eyes of God, why not come home? The beauty of Christianity is there is what is called a second law of pardon. God will forgive. John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?